So today is a continuing of the series from the journey called Celebration of Discipline. Today we're going to be talking about the discipline of service. I like the title of today's message better, which is Serve Like Jesus. Uh, I I like that better than the discipline of service. However, it does not change the fact that we're talking about developing these these parts of us to be disciplined in in our journey with, with Christ. And the call from Jesus to the disciples, let me be crystal clear with this, the call from Jesus to the disciples and to each one of us is to become a servant. It's to lower our own view of ourselves and raise that of others often, but it's to become a servant. And this is a little bit different from serving. Foster in, in this chapter really points, spend some time with that. But the call of Jesus is to become a servant. Foster writes this in the book. He says, in some ways we would prefer to hear Jesus' call to, Jesus's call to deny father and mother, houses and land for the sake of the gospel, than his word to wash feet. Radical self-denial gives the feel of adventure. If we forsake all, we even have the glory, a chance of glorious martyrdom. But in service, we must experience the many little deaths of going beyond ourselves. Being a servant banishes us to the mundane, the ordinary, and the trivial. Brother Lawrence, I've mentioned him a few times. It's what he's talking about when he says, I, when I, even when I wash dishes, I wash dishes as unto the Lord. When I clean the kitchen. And this morning, there's a couple of lists. It's too bad kids, kids serving under May. She'd love this morning. These are, this is a difficult thing because those are tough words to, to kind of grab, grab hold of and, and we can sometimes have those, that kind of stuff steps on our toes. But here's seven reasons that kind of get in the way for us of, of serving. Seven reasons. Well, the first is that we think that if we're quick to serve that people are going to take advantage of us, right? If I just give, what if they don't deserve the gift what if they are lying to us what if they're just acting like they're in need so that gets in the way of just being a servant this idea that we might be taken advantage of or we think that if we're serving and we look around and other people aren't why why aren't they where's everybody else i'm i'm working hard here where are you in fact, what's, what's going on? Why aren't you serving along with me? We wonder if, if anyone will see us serve so that they'll see uh, us and think more of us. Hey, look at me. Look what I'm doing. Or we might even think that the work that we're doing is beneath us. That's for other people. And a real challenge for us is when we stand in judgment of the people that we serve. Sometimes we just don't have the love in us, right? And oftentimes, (laughs) if we're brutally honest, we just don't want to. Just don't want to. But the heart of the matter when it comes to being a servant is that we are talking about a matter of the heart. It's about our heart. It's about our motivation. We don't serve for accolades. 
We, we, we serve because having that open heart, having, having that, that servant attitude opens us up. It opens our heart to humility. It opens our heart to grace. It opens our heart to tenderness, love. Think of it this way, and many of us have experienced this. When a person in your family gets sick, and you step in and you take care of them, do you go, hey, look at me? No. We step in and take care of them because we love them. We love them. We don't even often think of it as, uh, well, I'm now, you know, this, uh, this act of service that I'm doing for my mom or my dad. We don't think in those terms. It's, it's not about that. We, we just do it because we love them. You're being a servant, but you don't look at it as a spiritual discipline. It's a natural event, and, and you don't even think twice about it. Matthew mentioned this, or Jesus mentioned this in Matthew when he was saying, Lord, what, when the response is, Lord, when did we do that to you? When did we feed you? When did we you know, provide water for you when you were thirsty? When did we clothe you? You remember his response? Whenever you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. That's being a servant. It's not about all the other stuff that goes along with it. According to Foster, when we serve, and this is a distinction between the two words, when we serve, we still have control. We still have a choice about what we're going to do, whether we're not going to do it. We decide whom we're going to serve. We decide when we're going to serve. If it fits in our schedule, fine, I'll show up. If it doesn't fit in my schedule, then, you know, good luck. I hope you find somebody. Foster argues that to be a servant, when we do that, we give up that right. We step into being a servant, and, we're, and, and we serve where there's need. And by the way, there's a lot of freedom in that. If we voluntarily choose to be a servant, and even choose to allow, uh, not worry about being taken advantage of, then we can no longer be manipulated, right? See how that works? It's like this. I'll use me as, a, as an example because, well, I don't know why, but I'll just do it anyway. <laughs> so if someone were to come up to you on the street, they went, Chuck, I don't know if you know this about Mike. He's an alcoholic and a methamphetamine addict. What kind of pastor could he be? Here's the good news. You know what your response gets to be? Um, yeah, we know that. He doesn't hide that at all. In fact, he's just like me. He's just like me. And, and that addict and alcoholic and that brokenness has allowed him to do ministry that he would not have been able to do otherwise. What kind of pastor is that? You can't hurt me with the truth. You can't manipulate 
my past and use it against me. Because it's on the table. There's freedom in the letting go. And when we let go of that worry, we can just be a servant. Just get to be a servant. Of course, when we, we could get involved in service for the wrong reasons, because there's a, certainly a, a way to do that. We could do it for self-righteous reasons. We could do it for a lot of different outcomes. But there are some, what Foster calls, true and pure reasons. To enter into service. List number two. This one's a longer list. See, true service, the, uh, this idea of being a servant, of, of true service, it comes from relationship with Jesus Christ. It comes uh, out of divine urgings. You ever had a spiritual prompting? That person's head, uh, name pops in your head, and you know you're supposed to call them, and you do, and you have a conversation that matters. You know, that's the kind of stuff that happens when we pay attention to what God's doing. Uh, True service finds it almost impossible to distinguish between what's small and large because it's all, it's service. It's not about, you know, hey, look at me and look at this. It, it's, it's, I'll do what, I'll do the, the hidden stuff. I'll do the quiet stuff. True service seeks approval. But you know whose approval? God's approval. God's approval. That's the approval that we seek in, when we're seeking true service. True service is free from the need to calculate the results. Well, let's see, I'd do that if this happened. No, true service, it's just about the service. It's indiscriminate in its ministry. It seeks to be the servant of all. Minister simply and faithfully because there's a need. It steps, servants step into that need, and it becomes a lifestyle. It becomes ingrained in who we are, and, and it, you, you don't even think, get to where you don't even think twice about it. True service, when, when we're involved with that, we can listen with tenderness and patience before acting. Or we can listen with tenderness and patience, period. Because sometimes that's the best we can do. True service builds community. It draws people together. It binds people together. It heals and it builds. In Mark 10, Jesus told us this. He said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man didn't come to be served but to serve, and he gave his life as a ransom for many, Jesus calls us to a life of servanthood. He calls us to this place where we're practically, he wants us to be leaders, but he wants us to be servant leaders. As we serve God, we serve others. Remember, the vertical beam and the horizontal beam. The vertical beam is love the Lord your God with everything you got and, and, the, and love your neighbor with everything you got too. We do this because we want to be faithful to God. Picture this setting. So it's Passover. The disciples are gonna, they're going to head up to the upper room to celebrate the Passover meal, just as they have done all of their life, maybe a different location, the same meal. They would know what was coming. They wouldn't have known this was their last meal with Jesus, but they would have known what to expect in the meal. 
It was just another day, just another ritual, just another tradition to be done as it had always been done because that was the way it was done in the, in the Hebrew, the Jewish tradition. You didn't change stuff. You, this, is, this was going to happen in order. And as Corey eloquently mentioned, in those days when you traveled, you traveled by foot. And there are um, street hazards that you would encounter <laughs> as you traveled. And so, your feet, you can imagine, they were not pristine. And they didn't eat at a table like we do, right? Because they, they ate at this, this 18, about 18-inch 18 high table that they'd recline, which put their feet not underneath the table and in the way and, and in each other's way. And what happened was, because of that, when you went into a home, the, one of the first people that you would, we would meet would be the servant who would wash your feet to get that stuff off. And, th and that was the norm. So if we put ourselves in the upper room on that evening and we're watching the events as they're unfolding, we, we, we hear Jesus, right? So it's like Jesus and the disciples are coming and, and that's exciting and, and, and we're, we're going, man, what's this going to be like? They're, maybe they're laughing and they're talking as they head up to the room. The first disciple gets to the, to the door and he steps through and he notices that there's, there's no foot washing servant there. He goes, that's weird. Maybe he even for a fleeting second says, you know, somebody's got to wash somebody's feet here, so maybe I'll, I better do that. But then, of course, we go, hang on. I follow Jesus. I am not going to wash anybody's feet. Besides, I've got to get to the table because I want one of those choice spots. I want to get the right spot so that I can be close to the master. So, so he, he just heads to the table and he sits down. Now the second one comes in, and, and he notices as well. And similarly, he maybe considers, should I? And then he sees the, the first disciple head to the, so he's like, uh-oh, no, I, I need to get in there too. And none of them, all 12 come in, and they sit at the table, dirty, stinky feet in each other's faces. And finally, they're all sitting down. And Jesus suddenly gets up from the table. He walks over to the water basin. He takes off his outer garment. And he looks at the disciples who are waiting to be served. And they just stare back at him. So after having given the every chance, every one of them a chance to take the role of servant, Jesus himself picks up the servant's towel, pours the water into the basin, and begins the process of kneeling before each of those 12 disciples and washing their dirty, smelly feet. And after washing all of their feet, and this includes Judas, Jesus returned to the table and said, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is who I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. See, it was unheard of for a person of Jesus' stature to wash somebody's feet. It was love that motivated that action. It was a desire to leave his disciples with more than just words. Larry, if you come up. I always want to be a servant in everything that I do. And I hope that you do as well. Father, I pray for Larry that you would continue to work in his life, that you would continue to pour upon him a measure of your Holy Spirit that is powerful, that as he seeks you in each day and each moment of his days, that you would lead him in the ways that lead him nearer to you. Pray for Larry the husband that you would continue to help he and Tammy to have a powerful relationship for you. Pray for Larry the father that he would be the father that you've called him to be. We're going to celebrate communion. So as you come, to take communion. I'll be here if you'd like for me to pray with you. I'm here for you. I'll wash your feet, lift you up in prayer.